I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to FT Analysis. I'm Esther Bintliff, a digital editor at the Financial Times. Should the internet be free and open or more subject to laws and regulation? Will increased government control over the net lead to greater protection from surveillance or more censorship and repression. These are the themes of today's Big Read, which was written by a team of FT reporters, including Richard Waters, our San Francisco bureau chief, Courtney Weaver in Moscow, Daniel Dombey in Istanbul, and Najmeh Bazogmir in Tehran. In January, some users of Bookmate, a Moscow internet startup, had an unpleasant surprise. When they tried to access the monthly book subscription service, a Netflix for the Russian literary world, They received a pop-up message instead from their local internet service provider. Bookmate had been blocked, on the grounds of Russian law. In theory, only child pornography and copyright violations are legal reasons for blocking websites in Russia. After complaints to the ISP and the removal of what seemed to be the offending title, a book that dealt with Russian nationalism, the block was eventually lifted. But the episode was enough to convince Samat Galimov, a Bookmate web developer, of the arbitrariness of Russia's internet rules. It's no secret that internet businesses are massively fleeing the country, he wrote on a Russian news site. Hosting, domains, legal entities are all moving to more favourable and predictable jurisdictions, he added. Among them was Pavel Jurov, founder of Russia's answer to Facebook, who left the country for Berlin this spring after complaining about government control over the internet. Since then, Russia's challenge to the free workings of the internet has reached new levels. In July, it became the first nation to pass a law requiring internet companies to keep all personal information about its citizens on servers located inside the country. Like Brazil and other countries that have weighed similar rules in the wake of leaks about online surveillance by the US National Security Agency, the aim is ostensibly to protect the privacy of internet users. But critics say there is a more sinister motive, to make it easier for intelligence services to spy on their own citizens. Blocking websites, bottling up information so it cannot flow freely around the world, and ramping up the monitoring of people who are online are becoming increasingly common ways to manage the internet, and not just in authoritarian countries. Democracies have also turned to greater controls to protect their citizens from prying by foreign governments. Nationalism and regional ambition have added to the pressures, as the forces of globalisation have come up against the new realities of a more fractious world. As the common communication platform for connecting the globe, the internet has inevitably frayed as tensions have risen. The risk now, according to the alarmists, is that it will start to come apart at the seams. That after 20 years of connecting the world ever more tightly, the internet is about to be balkanised. Eric Schmidt, Google chairman, is among those warning that the steady erosion of online freedoms will end badly. You can end up in a situation where you break the internet, he says. Security may have been advanced as the reason for the new laws, but Mr Schmidt and other advocates of an open internet argue that should not detract from the real forces at work. Of course politicians would like to shape the internet, he says, 
It's a battle for power. This struggle between politicians and technocrats for control of the internet was vividly on display this month in Turkey. Supporters of an open online world had gathered in Istanbul for the annual meeting of the Internet Governance Forum, which promotes an open dialogue on these issues. But days after the delegates packed their bags, President Erdogan's administration presented a different view of how the internet should be run. Under a new law, the country's telecommunications agency, run by a former spy, was given the power to shut down websites with only four hours' notice, subject to later court review. The government says it wants to protect privacy and ensure the internet is regulated by law. But the timing looked like a clear message to the internet world from Turkish authorities that we are going to do things our way. It is like planting a flag, says Zeynep Tefeksi, an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina's School of Information. The short history of the internet has been filled with examples of countries fencing in the wide open territories of the online world, sometimes to great effect. China's Great Firewall, the censorship mechanism used to filter international sites, stands as the most ambitious, although many other countries have some level of content blocking. Many have also introduced more rules on the handling of data and online behaviour, often importing regulations that existed in parallel areas of real-world activity. Victor Meyer-Schoenberger, a professor of internet policy at Oxford University, says developments such as these are often depicted as a fight between the forces of darkness, represented by reactionary governments, and the forces of light, in the form of internet idealists, trying to keep the medium open. But that perception is a fiction, says Professor Meyer-Schoenberger. A global commons of the internet was something that never existed, he says. It was a useful aspirational thing for internet companies. In reality, he adds, there were always vacuums of power on the internet, which were seized by different organisations. One danger, however, is that the cause of defending a nation's citizens is being used as a pretext for repressive political action. This year, Turkey banned YouTube and Twitter for carrying allegations of political corruption, though the bans were overturned in the country's constitutional court. The law used to be about protecting children from harmful content, says Yaman Akdenis, a law professor at Istanbul's Bilgi University. Now it is all about protecting government from content they deem undesirable. Even actions taken with the genuine aim of protecting a country's citizens could backfire, according to critics. For instance, Europe's recent right-to-be-forgotten court ruling, which lets European citizens apply to have some types of information about them removed from search engines, encourages others to pursue more sinister forms of censorship, warns Mr Schmidt. It sets a precedent that others can use to resist the political evolution of their countries, he says. The acceleration of moves such as these has led to warnings of online fragmentation as more countries try to carve out corners of the internet that they can control. Ultimately, it will turn back their clock to a time before the birth of the cyber world, industry executives warn. Yet experts say that the internet's fundamental architecture makes it hard to break. There isn't some coherent utility called the internet where if you tinker with one part of it the whole thing falls apart, counters Evgeny Morozov a writer on internet issues and frequent critic of what he terms the US-led internet freedom agenda. At heart, the internet consists of a common protocol that lets different networks exchange data and an agreed addressing system that all ISPs follow so their users can find their way to sites. Even the most onerous controls will not destroy this architecture, says Ron Dybert, an expert on internet censorship and other controls at the University of Toronto. It's not breaking the internet as long as the basic mechanics are in place, he says. 
The Internet's basic design was also intended to ensure that information would continue to flow even when parts of the network are damaged or blocked. As Internet pioneer John Gilmore put it, the net interprets censorship as damage and roots around it. Yet the international accord that has allowed this loose arrangement to thrive may still be at risk in important ways. The US has ultimate control of the Internet's naming organisation, an arrangement that, at least in theory, could even give it the power to turn off the Internet for whole countries. After the leaks about US Internet surveillance by former intelligence contractor Edward Snowden, Washington sought to calm the global outcry by promising to hand the Internet naming job to a new international body operating outside the control of governments. It is unclear if the rest of the world will accept the compromise. Many countries, including some who have tended to side with the US on such issues, argue that more government oversight is needed. Axel Le Maire, the minister in charge of the digital economy in France, recently wrote to departing European Commission President José Manuel Barroso, urging more state control of ICANN, the body that ultimately oversees internet addressing. The issue had become an indicator of the problems concerning the global governance of the internet and the different approaches of the EU and the US, she said. The fissures are expected to be exposed next month at a meeting of the International Telecoms Union, an arm of the UN that has made efforts before to take more control over the internet. If successful, that could lead to a more homogenous set of rules over the way the network of networks operates, warns Mr Mayor Schoenberger. While these debates over who controls the internet can seem arcane, the real-world experience of being online for the three billion people who use it is being refashioned in the here and now. Internet companies which benefit from a borderless cyber world often argue that almost any limitation is a retreat from the ideals on which it depends. These companies have a habit of identifying their own self-interest with that of the internet at large, says Mr Morozov. Yet even those who concede that the experience of the internet for people in different countries around the world will inevitably become more distinct admit that there is a significant risk from the trend, that online innovation will grind to a halt. The availability of a common, accessible platform has made it remarkably cheap and easy for startups based anywhere to find an instant global market, says Pat Gelsinger, chief executive of VMware, a US technology company. You could be a team of engineers working in the backwaters of northern India and have a global market, he says. That mammoth beauty is starting to be carved up. High on the list of regulations that most directly threaten startups are those governing where data are held. Russia may be the first country to pass a law requiring personal information to be kept inside the country, but rules covering specific types of information, such as healthcare or financial details, often prevent its free flow outside many countries. Internet executives also claim that the spreading rules over data location are ultimately ineffective. It's just technically a mistake, says Mr Schmidt. Holding data locally would not have prevented NSA surveillance, he says. The only answer is to encrypt data so it cannot be read by unauthorised eyes, no matter where it is located. But there are questions about whether online censorship can ever be truly effective unless censors can mount the kind of sustained technical barriers and political control of a country such as China. The economic forces driving companies to remain part of the online world are too great, says Milton Mueller, an expert in internet policy at Syracuse University. The value of connectivity is so huge that no one other than North Korea cuts themselves off from the internet entirely, he says. For many countries, social and democratic pressures are also becoming hard to resist. 
Officially, Iran is pushing ahead with the launch, 18 months from now, of a clean internet that provides a filtered view of the global medium. Yet many analysts believe the launch is increasingly unlikely, given Iran's young, educated population, 70% to under the age of 35, many of them with university degrees. And they have come to see the internet as an important window on the world and a way of pushing back against strict rules governing social interaction in daily life. The extent of those expectations was evident last month, when Ayatollah Nazar Makarem Shirazi issued a religious decree denouncing high-speed internet access as un-Islamic. The senior cleric in the holy city of Qom warned of the dangers of easy access of the youth to polluted texts, videos and images, which are against morality and Islamic ideas. But when his message drew a wave of anger on social networks, even hardliners in the judiciary, parliament and the revolutionary guards did not back his argument. The Ayatollah eventually backtracked and insisted his comments had been misinterpreted. Iran's centrist president, Hassan Rouhani, a Twitter user who has failed to deliver on promises to relax censorship on social networks, weighed in with his own views on a high-speed internet. It is below our nation's dignity to wait for hours to have access to information, he said. Sometimes you fall asleep when using the internet. In an increasingly fractious world, the dreams of a borderless medium capable of connecting humanity in a frictionless way are on the retreat. But it is still far too early to declare the era of the open internet over. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.